This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. For the 2023-2024 season, the West Amway podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and go down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sport have just recently launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be the home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWHU employee. This week we talk about a solid battle against Newcastle on Sunday, Peter Banks being the 12th man for the Geordies after some horrendous officiating, standout performance from that game, whether it's time for Cudas to start, a new long-term contract for Jarrah Bowen and a win in Germany before getting news from X and answering questions from Patreons of the West Ham Way. It was Newcastle at the London Stadium yesterday. Another tough test for West Ham. As always, give us your thoughts on the game. Um, it was a good game. I found it uh, enjoyable to watch. Um, I thought there was periods when West Ham were particularly good, especially the, the first half. Um, I thought we played well against a very good team. You know, they've just beaten Paris Saint-Germain. Um, was it 4-1, I think, in uh, Europe, mm. wasn't it? So yeah. very convincingly. And so we, at times looked like we were the better side and really uh, we were playing against 12 men as you and I have both said off air to each other it was ridiculous I really felt the referee was just hell bent on giving them every decision so the fact that we played that well against Newcastle plus the referee um, was a was a good performance um, you know a bit disappointed that I didn't get the um, we didn't get the three points but on the whole you look at the start of the game and have taken a draw but on the balance of play I, I think a win was could have been deserved particularly when their first goal especially was down to the ref and they should have had a player sent off prior to that so yeah on the whole a good result yeah and we'll talk about some of the key talking points on that game but sadly once again like you said we we found ourselves talking about another absolute shit show from an official this time it's Peter Wanks sorry I mean Peter Banks (laughs) Peter was the culprit and um, in all honesty and you're absolutely right it was like playing against a 12th man and the governing body of professional referees is called the Professional Game Match Officials, right? Now, they always seem obsessed with making changes to the game that don't need changes. Why don't they make a change to the name of their pony organisation? How about Official Association of Absolute Cunts? Because I think <laughs> I think that's quite fitting. And then maybe have this Peter Wanks as the fucking head of this organisation. Because what a fucking bell in that geezer is. Uh, yeah. um, I think in terms of the talking points, let's start with a positive, and it was our first goal. We started really well. Exquisite pass from Paqueta, who who once again, and I'm sure we'll talk about him throughout the show, 
was just beautiful to watch. And, um, yeah. you know, I was saying to someone the other day, when I think about Lucas and, and I see him and he gives you these little gasps of, of poetry on the football pitch, it does remind me of how I used to feel watching Paolo Di Canio. Yeah. And it's, it's just so nice having someone like that as part of West Ham. How long we'll have him for is anyone's guess. But watching him play is just an absolute joy. And it was a great ball from him. Brilliant first touch from Emerson, who just seems to go from strength to strength to West Ham. And there was Big Tom to tap it in from a few yards. It was a good start for us, wasn't it? A good good high tempo as well. Yeah, that was a really good goal. And, and Antonio held the ball up well to play it to Paqueta, to play that ball over the top. Um, yeah. I think he's had a quite a lot of stick in, from what I've seen on the internet, but he um, obviously played a role in that goal. But yeah, a great goal, great ball by Paqueta. As you said, Emerson's touch was brilliant. And you know, Suchek, as he used to do in the past, in the right place at the right time. And yeah, really, really good goal. And as you say, Paqueta had moments throughout that game which is pure quality and <clears throat> as you say it's like the Canio and it's good that he also has that fighting instinct as well and what I noticed I don't know if others noticed when Kudos scored the equaliser he massively celebrated that as well so it clearly means a lot to him mm. um, uh, West Ham do and uh, yeah I, I love Paqueta and I think it's right to sing Emerson's praises at the moment because there is a question coming up later on in the show in the question section about if you to pick hammer of the year right now who would you pick and I think Emerson's been a bit of an unsung hero this season I think he's really been solid you know there was always the debate who's better him or Cresswell but for me it's hands down Emerson got to be the left back now because he's good defensively but he offers so much going forward as proven with that goal and Thomas Suchek you know credits him again I think he's been really really good this season he'd be another contender for hammer of the year and you know I feel I don't know, a bit guilty from what I've said in previous seasons. I kind of still stick by it. I think he was massively ineffective for the last season and the season before, but now he seems to have been released. You know, he's had the sort of, I don't know, the the, the defensive responsibilities lifted a little bit from him. He's now getting into the box and creating things, um, in dangerous things in the area and scoring. You know, he scored... In, he's the only player to score in all three competitions for us this season. And yeah, I'm fair play to him. I'm really happy for him. Yeah. And on the subject of Emerson, I think there was always a bit of a question mark over his defensive ability. I, I don't mm. think there was any go- in terms of going forward, which is why he was always seen as suited best as a wing back, because then he could maybe more concentrate on going forward. But it's obviously something that. He's, he's adapted to, and he knows he's going to play in a flat back four. And Moisey has to take some credit for that as well, because no doubt he's worked on that with him. And I think he was the best player in Prague as well against Fiorentina. Yeah, so he's now actually starting to be quite consistent for West Ham. And I like him. I really like him. And it's important, you know, to, to give a shout to some of the defenders that we've got, because sometimes it's a bit of a, a thankless task and they can be unsung heroes because obviously all the glory goes with the attackers and the goal scorers and the assist makers. But I think Emerson's been fantastic. Um, but on a slightly negative term, we have to talk about the incidents, the yellow card that that never was. And, you know, if it was, it, it it's potentially a game changer. Um, I don't know if this is how you pronounce it, but Gomez, I think it is. It's mm. as simple as this, X. The first tackle is a yellow card. I know he personally didn't feel that it was, but it was 100%. Mm. And that yellow card was given. Well done, Peter Wanks. And that came from a great ball, a great bit of skill from Piquetta oh, to Emerson. That, uh, oh, yeah. Mate, no. it, it, and it's one of those moments we're talking about, just mm. effortless as well. Superb. Mm. It's a mm. great play by us. Gets taken down, um, Emerson, and rightfully so awards the yellow card. Second tackle, 90 seconds later, was also a yellow card on yeah. Prousey. And the ref has bottled it. If he doesn't take Prousey down, he's through two against two. So in what world is that not a yellow card? And why is VAR not getting involved or not allowed to get involved because of some stupid little loophole to say, oh, we, we need to get in his ear here, he's not going to give this. And then... They take the responsibility, they take the ownership, they take the pressure off of him. And then he he can then say, well, actually, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to give it, but VAR are telling me I have to. That gets him out of the hot wall, where all the focus is on VAR. But ultimately, if that scenario did happen, then VAR actually get a pat on the back because the right decision's been made. But again, between the fucking man on the pitch and the stiffs that sit behind the technology at Stockley Park, we've been cheated out of another decision again. 
Mm. Like, at what point are we going to stop talking about it? It's so fucking boring. And uh-huh. they can keep coming out saying, we made the wrong mistakes and apologies for this and apologies for that. And we've got to work on this. And we're introducing that. It's fucking boring. It's, it's laborious X. You know, when are we actually going to start to see referees officiate to a standard that should be expected of Premier League? Where are the Kalinas of this day and age? The proper good referees that make the right decisions and are consistent? Because they just they just don't seem to exist. And we're talking about Premier League football. I've seen better referees at Acne Marshes. Do you know what mm. I mean? It's so unbelievably frustrating, isn't it? But again, how's that yellow not given and why? The, the difference between the likes of Kalina and the, the Peter, I've actually forgotten what his real name is now because if you call him, what is it, Banks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Peter, ba- Peter, ba- Peter Banks um, is that Kalina didn't care what who he upset yeah. or what or what the club was that was playing or what the scenario was. He judged each decision by the decision that was in front of him. What's happened with that decision? I think if he was to try and get into the ref psychology because he knows that that's a Booking, there's no way he can be on all these ref courses and you know get to being a Premier League referee without being able to see, which is you know so obvious to all that that was a booking. What I think's happened is that there wasn't a great um, deal of distance was there between the between the bookings from memory in terms of time. I don't actually know what the distance would be, but I ninety think, seconds was it ninety seconds? There you go. Um, so because of that, um, he's decided that it's too close together, and that and that's what's happened in his head. Because if it had been a twenty minute gap, or even one in the first half and one in the second half, and they were identical fouls to what those were, then I'm pretty sure he would have given a second yellow card. But there seems to be this thing with weak refs that, and I think it was shown in the Man City game. Although I've not watched that back yet, I think it happened with Kovacic. Yeah, that was ridiculous. What was yeah. he still doing on the pitch? It, exactly. Awful, awful tackles. I don't and, know what uh, he was thinking. But he got away with it. Yeah, and it's because I think, from correct me if I'm wrong, I think those were close together as well, and both yeah. in the first half. So the uh, refs have this thing that, you know, you, oh, we can't set, I can't send them off too early because then that changes the outcome of the game and automatically gives the, you know, the advantage to West Ham in this case or Arsenal in that case. And they bottom it. They don't go by decisions. They go by like a, a sort of thought process that oh it's too early to send someone off and that's not the way it should be of course ideally you a, a neutral wants to watch a game 11 v 11 but the rules are there to be to be abided by otherwise there's no point in having them so if it's a yellow card a second yellow card it doesn't matter whether it's in the first minute or the 90th minute it needs to be followed through and given and he's just basically bottled it because it's too close together and because it's Newcastle you know I'm, I'm sure if it was a you know a lower in like maybe a League Two game or you know something like that, he probably would have done it. But because it was the nature of the of the game, he, he's bottled it. And this is the problem that we constantly have with these refs and and with VAR. Because you're right, why did VAR not help him out when it's there to help them out? Um, but the, the constant problem with these refs is that they're too because their performance is so scrutinised. You know, you've got Mike Dean on Sky Sports. Um, you got how are you got um see so other one that they use on BT Sports um forgot his name Peter something or another so you've got all these refs and you've got them on talk sport you've got them everywhere they're constantly analysing every decision the, the refs are scared to make decision because they know that they're going to be put all over social media all over Sky or wherever and, and those decisions are going to be us. they'd rather avoid making a decision than make one which in turn is fucking stupid because then they get pulled up for the decision that they haven't made so, so they're never going to get away from it so what I'm trying to say is we need to just get refs that are able to apply the rules at when they happen regardless of what the time or what the circumstance is a rule is a rule you know it's like if you get done speeding you know which um, I do <laughs> if you get done speeding it's you've, you've gone over what the speed limit is you can't say oh well, do you know what it was 8 o'clock in the morning so you know, I was in a bit of a rush to work or it was in the evening I wanted to get home and see my kids or whatever excuse you give yes there's probably some contextual simple to the situation but the bottom line is a rule is a rule and I can't believe that this has happened in this game and in the Arsenal game 
two examples of it. And again, complete incompetence on the ref and the VAR and the linesman as well, because they didn't get involved either. There was a decision right in front of me, which wouldn't have been picked up on highlights, I don't think, that, that was clearly a throw into West Ham. It was the most obvious thing ever. It was Antonio, I think, from memory, and one of their players. Antonio kicked the ball against a defender. The linesman is right in front of the play, literally a yard away, and he gave it to Newcastle, and it was the most obvious West Ham throw. And if they can't pick these things up, then... There's no hope for the big decisions, is there? Well, there isn't. And the thing is, X, these controversies happen all the fucking time, yeah. week after week after week. Look, we're all human, and we can all let the odd mistake go, and we can all try and put ourselves into the referee's position and understand sort of pressures and how he might have seen it differently. But we're talking about stone wall obvious decisions they're getting wrong. And the thing is, X, if mentally they're not, they're not up to it, then they shouldn't be fit to do the job. And, yeah. and, if, and if we've got an entire roster of referees that are absolutely weak to their knees and they can't cope with the big stage, then do you know what? Fuck them off. Just get a referee on a pitch that makes no decisions whatsoever. Every single decision on a football pitch is made by VAR and Stockley Park where they can hide behind their screens and they're not seen and can't be shouted at. And all that referee is there to do is relay the decisions VAR have made. Mm-hmm. So that he's not in the situation where he's pressurised to make mistakes. Because you can't deal with it. None of them can. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're fucking, they're too bob, aren't they? All of them. Mm-hmm. So something has to be done because it, it's just killing the game. And we go to another Wanksy special now. When we're talking about, <laughs> you know. I keep thinking Banksy is the artist. And when you say Wanksy, it's just, <laughs> that's, that's, shit that's so Banksy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is another Wanksy special. And, um. <laughs> It comes from their first goal, um, and it's a goal that was scored by a team that should be down to 10 men by now, but they wasn't. And um, it came from a free kick that was given away by Paqueta. And for Mm. me, another stupid decision from the referee. You could see it was a 50-50 tussle, right? Both players were equally as physical, and ultimately Lucas has muscled him out. And I'm assuming you agree with that. I think a lot of West Ham fans agree that the free kick was given. Mate, I was at the I was at the game, and I, I'm shout. And I remember clearly shouting out on my seat, "That's not a foul!" And then obviously they scored. I was like, "Well done, ref!" You say what I said, but it wasn't pleasant. And then, um, and then it went to VAR, and I was like, "You better hope this," because it went for a check-in offside. And I was like, "You better hope this is offside, ref, because you fucked up there." And I, you know, I, I could do that without the benefit of replays, and I don't often get out of my seat and berate the ref because I'm always conscious that sometimes you do that and then you watch it back on TV if you are shit actually the ref was right but in that incident it was so obviously not a foul it was a 50-50 Lucas got the better of him the guy lost his footing and what should have been a really good opportunity for us to attack turns it out for a free kick for them which they immediately score from it's like that I mean it's not guaranteed that we would have scored from that attack of course but you've gone from say half a chance that West Ham would score to a full a full chance that Newcastle have scored, all because the referee makes a wrong decision again. Yeah, exactly that, mate. I mean, you could even debate, and I do mean debate on this one, because I'll be honest with you, Rex, in this day and age, I don't even think I understand football anymore. No. I don't think I get the rules of football anymore. No. And, and every time you think you do, then someone tells you there's been some sort of change to the rule that hasn't been yeah. announced publicly. Not, not that I've seen anyway, because, again, when you look at the free kick that shouldn't have been given that was... Isaac looks offside to me when the ball is kicked. Now, I know it's not gone to Isaac. It's gone in and around him. And then the ball comes off Alvarez. So if it comes off a defender to an attacker, he can't be offside. I get that. But where I've got a bit of a grievance, and which is potentially where this is up for debate, is that when that ball falls to him, he is in a position, Isaac, to score the goal based on the yard that he nicked from being offside in the first place. So I'm sure back in the beautiful golden age of football, that you were given offside when the ball was kicked. But mm-hmm. he's not. And I, my point is, whilst he was, the ball didn't initially go to him, the fact that he was offside when the ball was kicked has given him an advantage to be in that position to then get the ball to score. So again, I, you know, I, I assume that was offside, but I think you told me off air that there's some sort of fucking rule change that, that sort of 
decides that that isn't now. I mean, again, I think, I'll scratch me with all this. I mean, I'm speaking with very, very, very vague knowledge here. So, again, I stand to be corrected on what the actual technically correct answer is, but my loose understanding, and that's just from seeing what I think I've seen with previous incidents that are similar to this, is that because he was offside and the ball wasn't played to him and he wasn't interfering with play when he was offside he then when he was in play he was onside so therefore because he wasn't he was offside when he didn't he was, wasn't interfering with play he therefore is counted it doesn't matter because he was onside when the ball actually came to him something like that but I, I don't really understand and, and the bottom line is again the fact is I don't understand it really you don't understand it probably no. loads of other people out there don't, I don't understand think the refs it. do X this is, this no. is the point because they so massively overcomplicate and make changes to a sport that doesn't need changes I think they're all in a bit of a fluster they can all sit on their Zoom calls and, and fucking have fancy prawn sandwiches and their little annual meats or whatever but if if these changes are being signed off by people that are not directly involved in the game and you're expecting these people to enforce those rules it's too, it's too much for them it's too much oh. for them to understand and absorb and it's too much for them as people to show the bottle to make these decisions yeah I mean the thing is as well mate it's like if you put it into any real life context if you give yourself a rule for anything whatever the job may be whether it might even be a parenting rule that you give to your children for example if you make the rule black or white you know you I don't know if you're sort of put it to a children's perspective every time you have dinner around the table Everyone isn't on electronics and we all talk to each other and we don't look at any electronic device. That's the rule. It can't be misinterpreted because you understand the minute you're on your device, you're breaking the rule. If you then have the rule as... But it could be if, you know, if there's a, a, you know, if there's someone in your family's ill, you might want to take the phone. If there's a program that you like on TV, then you might be able to look at that. If there, you know, if there's a news channel and, and then, you know, there's a big bit of news breaking, but, or if it's the weather, you can check the weather. In the, in the incident like that, if there's so many sub clauses, everyone lose track of what's going on. Everyone twists them a little bit to suit their own needs. And that's without it having to be an immediate decision. You know, as a parent, you can sit back and think, right, actually, I, I said this, so that's that. A football, you've got to make a decision right on the spot. So if you put in, like, one rule, but it has, like... I know, 10 sub-clauses to that rule. It's not almost humanly possible. Sometimes people say, right, under that rule, this happened, but that player wasn't there, but this player was there, that person was there, so that means that it's this rule. It's so hard to be able to cover all those scenarios in your head with the pressure of the crowd and all the TV audiences, et cetera, et cetera, watching you. So to give the referees some defence on this show, like... It is almost an impossible task to be able to remember all of those things in the heat of the moment like that. And the problem, therefore, lies as well with some of these things is the rules. I mean, of course, with the yellow card stuff, that's the ref's fault because the rule is simple. Book a player if it's a, a foul deeming of a yellow card. So he's fucked up there. But sometimes with the offside and handballs and things like that, the rules are so complicated that it makes it hard for the rest because you've got to com- like, c- cover five or six different fucking scenarios it's just stupid it really is mate it really is um i mean in terms of examples wanks has already served us up a starter a main and uh now we've got the dessert because again we've got to look at something else and i don't know how many people have seen this but if you look at newcastle's second goal and it was some great play from them don't get me wrong and that was well class that volley from trippier to to put it in a position that he did but if you look just before Isaac gets his foot to the ball. He's got both hands on the guard's back and he's pushed him. Yeah. Now, how's, yeah. again, how's that not been picked up? Because, again, for me, that's a foul. Now, listen, I'm I'm very pro-physicality in the game. I, I'm, I miss the fact that football is becoming a non-contact sport. So I'm all for contact, don't get me wrong. But we're not talking about a shoulder barge or a nudge or getting the physical edge, X. If you look at it, both of Isaac's hands is on a guard's back and he has pushed him, not massively heavily, but pushed him enough to gain that advantage, but not sort of in a clever way. He's got both his hands on his back and to me it looks clear and obvious that he has fouled a guard to get that half a yard for him to be able to put that ball in the back of the net. Again, that's not been fucking, that's not been looked at. That's not been spotted by the referee. VAR haven't got involved and looked at it. And again, it's an absolute shower of shit. I mean, you talk about the food examples there. I mean, I don't know how many 
bits of food you'd want to eat served up by someone called Wanksy. But, you know, you can, you can have a buffet of bollocks from this geezer. I mean, he's one of the worst referees I've ever seen in my life. And I'm not joking. I was infuriated by him. And he's, buffet you know, of bollocks. And, and, and the, thing is, the thing is, you know, at Premier League level, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's so fast-paced. It's intense. There's so much money being spent on players. Everyone's an athlete. It's competitive. So the last thing you need is to have an official go against you because you're already up against it at this level. So when you play against a 12th man like the referee like that, you know, I don't even know how we come out of it with a point, to be honest well, with you. Well, mate, I'm going to go from the, um, what, did you, what did you say, buffet of bollocks to a platter of piss. And I've got, <laughs> one, I've, got, I've got another example, which again, this boils down to the referee. And I think he bottled it, right? So he gave Emerson a yellow card for um, waving an imaginary yellow card. I, I, at the game, I didn't see this happen. But I watched Match the Day because um, I, I always have to watch it now because there's so many controversial decisions I can't just judge it from what I saw live I have to watch it back so that I can speak with conviction now when we do this podcast so I'm watching the foul on uh, I can't remember whatever happened now foul on someone anyway West Ham foul on the Newcastle player. I think it was Packeter maybe yeah Packeter fouled one of their players and Almiron is in the background waving a yellow card and, and I said to I was watching it with my wife I said he's just waving a yellow card just like um Emerson did and I didn't even wait long enough to listen to whether they picked it up on the commentary um, on the match today so I rewound it before I listened further I was like look that's so obvious it's right in front of the referee and then in fairness to match today if I just waited they then pulled it up as well and said he's just done the exact same thing as Emerson and not got booked and I, again I don't know in relation to where the yellow card was but Almiron has a yellow card in that game so I don't know if that would have come before or after but either way would have given him two yellow cards as well and and it was the most obvious wavy of a yellow card right in front of the referee and it's very almost identical to how Emerson did it so exact decisions they're like literally like for like one gets a yellow card and one doesn't and this is where there's a huge problem because you know there's a problem with the rules as we've already established but he must have even not seen it but then what's the point of the linesman and VAR if he yep. doesn't see it? Um, and then if he did see it, he's deliberately chose to ignore it because at that particular moment, he doesn't want to book the player for making that gesture. And and that's a new rule, apparently, that the refs have been briefed on this season that anyone doing that imaginary yellow card thing has to be booked. So he, he got it right with Emerson. As much as I think that's harsh, he got it right with Emerson. But then And then right in front of him, he chooses to ignore it. I mean, you can't you can't do that it's just that it just makes the whole thing corrupt you know like you're talking about but like you said a multi-billion thing where you know this could affect whether West Ham finish above Newcastle because you know if we'd if we'd beaten them that would have been a swing of three points and in the league at the moment we're very close so mm. you know it would have, it would have been a, a massive difference there um and um and and it's just like and it's just largely came down to the fact that a ref can't apply the rules that are right there in front of him and I, I mean I don't know if I've been in a cloud but I've never heard of this bloody ref no, I, certainly, I, I certainly remember his name now but what what's his experience to get to where he is refing a you know a game like that of that magnitude mm. um, and you know they they just get so much wrong so regularly and you know I always thought that Oliver was meant to be the best ref or wasn't he the ref for the Man City Arsenal game you know and he's just done the exact same thing as what what lesser known refs have done so it's just a a problem throughout and and it's boring as you said at the start having to talk about it so regularly we have to because it's topical and so so had such an impact on the game but it's such a regular occurrence and I I don't know how like when I first started watching football really in the late 80s early 90s you always used to criticise the refs for their performance but you can almost look back and, and give them some sympathy they had no VAR they had no like um, training like they have now. They weren't full time. They used to do it as like a part time job alongside a, another job. Um, they didn't have the like I said the training and the support network that refs get, um, and they made mistakes. But they were human, so they, they that's what happened. Now with all the technology and the money thrown into it, 
it should, it, I don't think anything's changed. It seems no. like there's just as many mistakes now as there was then. I just oh, don't get it. More so, I think. More so, <laughs> which is the incredible thing about it. I'll make you right as well. I've never heard of Wanksy either. I don't yeah. know if the, if the cunts won a fucking competition in the paper to ref that game on Sunday. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, even at one point, you know, something else he missed. Nick Pope pulled out a chainsaw from behind the goal and chased Antonio with it. I think he saw that. And, <laughs> and, and Wanksy just told him to behave himself, you know? <laughs> Why have they not looked at that? If that's not a dangerous play, I don't know what is. <laughs> but do you know what? Of course I jest in case people are thinking, oh, I didn't do that. Um, well, I, actually, for a minute... It wouldn't surprise me if that is, how, is my point. This is how much I doubt the refs for a split second. I was like, I don't remember that. And I was like, oh, he's still joking. So, yeah, it's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah. It, just, it just sums it up, though, that that would, like, you know, realistically, they'd probably have to go to VAR. We had Antonio's heads bobbling along the floor. And it's still have to go to VAR too. <laughs> Yeah. Off or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, fucking hell. It's, it's just an absolute circus, isn't it? It really yeah. is. But, you know, let's talk about a positive because at 2-1 down came the substitutions. And again, credit to Moisey for making these substitutions. Yeah. One of them, of course, included Mohamed Kudas, someone that is really exciting West Ham fans at the moment. And what an impact he made. Outstanding goal from Mo. A beautiful moment. And it does now beg the question, X. And we have discussed this recently, but after another fantastic performance from him when he came on. Does he now need to start? Uh, What I would imagine would be at the expense of Antonio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh. oh, mate, he was brilliant. When he came on, like, absolutely brilliant. Like, obviously the goals, the icing on the cake, but around that, he was just dangerous. He did some real good bits of skills, similar to Paqueta. He he just looked at an absolute threat. He was playing with such determination. He's like so direct as well like he uses the space and he uses the time on the ball so well like you know we haven't seen that much of him because he's obviously been a sub for most games apart from in the cup but he he looks the real deal like from what I've seen so far you know I'm looking at this guy thinking wow we have got a real real quality player here and uh, and as as a result of that you think he's got to inevitably be in the team because he, he is that good but it does make a very hard question as to who you take out originally I was saying Suchek you know have Suchek as an impact sub but that would be incredibly harsh on him right now because I think he's been one of our better player uh, players and he's scoring consistently so you would lose that and you would lose his um, defensive ability and attacking ability from set plays which is honestly a massive thing of ours now we've got Ward-Prowse so that's a hard decision you can't take out Alvarez you obviously can't take out Biqueta you obviously can't take out um, uh, Sweet Packetar you obviously can't take out Ward-Prowse you can't take out Bowen so you you can't play him as a fullback. So you're literally running out of options. And I think the only option, like you said now, is to consider dropping Antonio and doing a constantly, and it's quite modern way of, of doing things, but have a constantly revolving forward line. Because at one point, Pacato was up front. At one point, Bowen was. At other points, Kudos was. And maybe the three of them just like regularly rotate every kind of five, ten minutes or so in, in, in a game. Um, that could be a way. But then again, that is harsh on Antonio because whilst, yes, I don't think he played very well yesterday. Remember, he was still involved in the first goal. He, he didn't play great. 
but he was on the back and I think people have been a bit unkind in some comments in the sense that he, he literally didn't train all week but he was an injury doubt right to the very minute they did a fitness test just before kickoff and maybe on his performance he shouldn't have played but he wanted to play um, so you've got to bear that in mind when people are being harsh to his performance but he he can only manage 60 minutes he's, if you look at him his statistics for the last two years uh, I couldn't tell you exactly how many, but I reckon there's been countless amounts of examples when he's been subbed off between 60 minutes and 75 minutes because he can't last the whole 90 minutes. So I think in terms of preservation of his body and his fitness, it might be that, yes, that's where you that's what you might do. You put him on a subs bench and you rotate. What was really interesting, and I don't know if it was picked up on TV at all, but actually when we started the game, it was only for about five minutes or so but Bowen actually played at the centre and Antonio was on the right I, I, I in fairness didn't notice that until my dad said look look at that and I was like oh yeah um, and um, so yeah we've got that ability but I think I think that's his only way in is if you drop Antonio because I don't think you can drop any of the others but that's harsh on Antonio but Kudos is just doing so well that it's ridiculous that he doesn't start for us, really. Yeah, and, you know, we've said it so many times since we've made these signings, it's a nice problem to have, and it is. Yes, yeah. Um, but I also make you right. When you break down those players, really, it, it can only be Mickey, I think. And, and I think you made a really important point there about the preservation of Antonio, because I think that's a really key point to note, because he is someone that kind of blows out after about an hour. So why not have him as this explosive sub that you can bring on, this explosive super sub, where he can actually go bollocks for 20 minutes, for example, and cause absolute horrors for defenders. But you're leading with that little trio that we spoke about. Uh, I think that's got legs. Or maybe give Antonio the cup games, for example, because, you know, at some point, Kudas has to start playing week in, week out. He's our marquee signing as well. It's not as if we got him for a free transfer. You know, the owners are going to want to see a return on that investment. And the only way they're going to get that is by seeing him play week after week. So, you know, I, I did see Alan Shearer and Danny Murphy, I think, mutually agree that there's nothing wrong with um, bedding him in slowly uh, and, and you know, and, and leaving it as it is, but then sort of introducing him and getting him used to the Premier League. I kind of get all that. But then I also think you've got to look at the... The, the the personality, the focus, the mindset, the the desire, the hunger of the individual you're talking about. And for me, looking at, at, at some of the interviews with Kudus, he seems completely composed, completely mm. focused. He wants to play. When he comes on, he's explosive. So I think we've got to tap into that. If he's ready, we should be ready. And um, yeah. and I think with Antonio and the science behind how his muscles work and, and the fact he's 33, um, I think he, he probably should now, to be honest, be dropped to the bench as a super sub. And what a super sub he'd be. And I agree also on that note that I do think people are harsh because whilst whilst he can drive us absolutely mental with some of his play and also at the same time have us in euphoria with some of his play, if he doesn't score, it's very rare that he hasn't contributed to the game. He does a lot of the donkey work, a lot of the defending from the front, a lot of the shutting down, a lot of the, the hold-up play, the link-up play to bring others in. So I do think that um, we have to go a bit easier on him. But at the same time, I would like to see more of Kudus now. Yeah. I would. I would do, you know, do you know what I really love about Kudos as well? It's not only is he like you're sort of the, the player that gets you off your seat, um, you know, to use that catchphrase, but he is, he is a tough player like again yeah. a bit like Paqueta he takes a lot of kicks a lot of knocks a lot of sort of barges as he's trying to run with the ball like a lot of scrappy tackles on him and he tries to stay on his feet you know he, the amount of times he tries to get up and doesn't want to go down and I really like that about him and um, yeah I just think I think we've got a real player on our hands. I'm really excited about him. But then you look, credit to the recruitment team over the summer. You know, West Ham fans made a big problem of fuss that we hadn't signed anyone for a period of time. But then you look at what we actually did once we'd got the Declan Rice transfer sorted. The four players we brought in with that money, uh, all of them have shown big potential to be great players. You know, I think Mavropanos, okay, he's had least opportunity out of all of them, but he's looked solid in the games he's played. Um, Alvarez has been brilliant as, a, as just literally doing that defensive midfield role. Um, Ward Prowse, well, you know, he, I'm not a big fan of stats, but you just have to look at the stats, the goals 
that he's been involved in both scoring and creating, and then um, kudos. I mean, the, the four of them, I don't know you could really get much better signings, to be honest with you, for, for West Ham and what we needed in those positions. Yeah, absolutely. And talking to Kudus, I mean, we had five shots on target against Newcastle. Three of them came when Kudus came on, which yeah. speaks volumes about the type of player that he is. And we could have nicked it at the end and all, couldn't we? Yeah, and I thought Jared it was in. Smashed it across. Oh, I thought it was in. Well, Benny well, was inches away, wasn't he? Yeah, where I was. I sit on the halfway line in the Billy Bond stand. And so I'm kind of looking at that diagonally. And from where I was, I thought the ball was going in. I literally couldn't believe it didn't. So, yeah, what an end that would have been. Well, let's hear what the gaffer had to say about the game. David, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the game, and at halftime, I thought you were very good value for one 0 mm-hmm. Look, uh, I'm actually quite pleased with the point. I'm, I'm coming to that right away because I think we're playing against a really good team at the moment. I think Newcastle are in great form and playing as well as MD. But uh, yeah, I'm more disappointed. We started the first half. We done well. We done a good job in containing them. Had one or two other uh, bits of chances as well. But uh, we didn't start the second half well, and look, Newcastle have been playing so well, and the rotation of the players, etc., were, were very good today. The springboard for them, I guess, was the first goal, which didn't look the worst foul in the world for the free kick. But I'm really disappointed that a free kick was given for it. Uh, I didn't see it being a free kick at all. And the bigger thing then is actually it led to the goal, which uh, makes it worse from our point of view. We're not going to we're not going to blame the referees, but. I think you'd question whether it was a foul or not. That would be what I'd think. But the, the bigger question was, I'm saying I, I hated how I, I defended the, the, the free kick in the box and not getting around for the for the second ball on the header. So uh, I've got as much to complain about my defenders as, as I have about the referee. But then you bring on Mohamed Kudus, who is a player I saw a lot of, actually, when he was playing for Ajax. I did a bit of that, and I've, he always caught the eye playing for Ajax. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he is... I don't know what he is. He can do a bit of everything, can't he? I mean, he's a tremendous goal-scoring midfielder. Yeah, we, we that's exactly what we want him to be, a goal-scoring midfield player. If we can add goals to from different areas. And uh, look, his goal was a really important goal. And you're right, he, he scored quite a few goals for Ajax in his time. And we see him playing in different roles. He can play midfield, he can play wide, he can play off the front or up front as well. So... Uh, I think he, he came in and made a difference. I think his subs, our subs today came on and made a difference, which uh, was uh, was important to us. And you almost won it with mm. Jared Bowen's cross shot. I think Nick Pope's got a hand yeah, to it. Indeed. If he hadn't, then Ben Rama's yeah. going to score. Yeah, uh, we'd, I, I asked Jared there, and Jared says I thought it was in the far corner. And uh, I still thought from, from the dugout area, I thought, oh, this is in. Uh, Jared is a real threat when he gets in, in good areas like that. And uh, look, it was a great chance for us and maybe we could have nicked it in the end but I've got to say Newcastle once again Newcastle are a really good team and uh, you know I'm, I'm not disappointed with a point today Well he's not disappointed with a point from the game are you on reflection? That's a tough question that um before the game no but when you take into account all the all the refereeing decisions that went against us and the way we were playing at times and it's not a reflection on West Ham, it's a reflection on the referee, then I am disappointed, I think. Yeah, I think we deserve the three points. Uh, you could argue a draw is a fair result, definitely, but a win for West Ham wouldn't have been, a, you know, completely against the, the run of play either. And so I do feel slightly that it was a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I see it slightly differently. I, I think it's a good point considering the circumstances we were under. I.e. Wanksy, just... Oh, yeah, it's it's nothing to do with West Ham. It's the problem of him. I think think if we'd had a good referee that made the correct decisions, then we would have won the game. So it's Mm. no reflection on West Ham. It's a reflection on on him and his shit decisions. So as a result of it not being something that West Ham controlled, I therefore feel maybe not disappointed. I feel frustrated that a sort of third party, if you will, has been the the main deciding factor in the outcome of that result. Yeah, of it not being more than a point. Absolutely. Totally Mm. agree. Totally Mm. agree. Well, fans were treated to the news that Jared Bowen has just signed a whopping seven-year contract with what we understand doesn't include a release clause. X, how amazing is that? It is amazing. It's a brilliant, brilliant deal. Um, it's not amazing that we're now taking a big part of my section of the podcast, but but, but, <laughs> but, we'll, but we'll roll with it. Um, yeah, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing because you know at the end of the day, if we'd sold him 
there's a danger of having sold rice, then selling Bowen, we'd be slipping back into the sort of selling club category, I think. And obviously both would have been circumstantial, but it, it wouldn't have been great to have lost two England internationals in such a short space of time. Now that we've got him for seven years, we've got complete control over his destiny. You know, he's 26, I believe. So you add seven years to that, that makes him 33. You know, so realistically, you know, by that point... You know, he could still be at the top of his game, but he's probably going to be looking for that sort of final contract anyway. But it gives West Ham complete control of where he's going to go now. And it's brilliant because when you look at our team at the moment, I think we're blessed with talent throughout. But, you know, you could argue if you was to pick who your top three players are um, in terms of both contribution, ability and, and worth then you've got to say that Bowen's in that top three. Um, it's a tough top three to choose, but he's certainly got to be one of the main contenders. And um, the fact that he's there for seven years, you know, I, I think that's a brilliant, brilliant move. Fair play to the board, if it is true. And by all accounts, I've checked both sides of it, Gerard's side and... Um, and the club side, it appears there is no release clause. I have a slight worry. They could be like Packeter that there is one that comes into play in a couple of years, but I have no evidence of that. It's just a paranoia that I was told categorically and I did ask the question to the person that would know whether there was a release clause in this deal and they said no. So I can only go on that. And if that is 100% the case, then that is brilliant bit of news because there was some talk of release clauses being negotiated. Um, no release clause is spot on, you know. Unfortunately, the players do hold the power. So, you know, if it turns around in two years' time, he wants to leave, release clause or not, you know, you can usually kick up enough fuss to get a transfer. But I don't think Bowen is that type of person. He doesn't strike me as that type of person. His comments... Um, from the media team about loving the club and loving the area and loving you know life basically suggests that he's really happy here and um, if we continue to build on this season have a good Europa League campaign bring in a couple more quality players then you know the, good stay here I know Liverpool and Arsenal were very keen on him but he can achieve just as much for us being the main man than being a sort of I think you'd have been a big player for them, but you know, there's always a chance that he might not have been. He knows at West Ham he'll be the main man, so it's a great, great move, a, a real significant move, a, a massive positive. Because I had it on good authority that Liverpool would line him up to be Salah's replacement. So happy days, mate! I absolutely love the kid. I mean, this is mm. giving him hero status. If if Prague didn't, this has. Yeah, yeah. And, you, know, you won't like this, mate. You mentioned Declan Rice there. This is the difference between Bowen and Rice. And no doubt you'll you'll formulate a, a response to tell me I'm wrong. But you're right. He, he knew Liverpool were were potentially sniffing around him in January. So he knows that in two months' time he could join a club like Liverpool potentially if they sell Mo Salah. He has come out on on. West Ham social media, right? I've got the quote in front of me now, and he's gone, this club gave me the opportunity when no one else wanted to. It's only fair that I repay that faith. I want to stay here, and I want to stay here for the rest of my career. Now, this is the difference, right? Because when we were sort of mounting the argument as to why Declan Rice doesn't have to go and he can become an icon at West Ham, and, you know, if he's got ambition, take this club with him. part of me questioned myself as to whether I was seeing things through claret and blue tinted glasses. But actually, this is an example of, no, it doesn't have to be like that. If you've got a player that loves the club, and I mean genuinely, emphasising the word genuinely, loves the club and does have ambition, then they can stay here and take West Ham with them during that ambition. Because in the day... He's playing in Europe for three consecutive seasons. He's won a trophy. Playing for West Ham clearly doesn't affect um, your international status. Neither did it with Declan. And he knows he's good enough to play for a top four side. I believe he is. And he could get Champions League football. And he could get greedy with trophies. But he just genuinely loves this club. And the difference between the two is that Jared is ambitious, but he wants to take West Ham with him. And I love him for that. I absolutely love him for that. And they're a bit of a dying breed, I think, players like that, because you can get greedy. Actually, from what's been reported that he is now being paid, he absolutely earns it because he has earned the right to earn that money. And um, long may it continue because I, I absolutely adore Jared and what a player he is and what, what how exciting 
for for him to be a part of this football club for the next seven years. Look, no one knows what the future holds, and I know what you're saying about players holding cards, etc. If West Ham go down next season, I'd be very surprised if Jared wants to stay in the in the Championship. So there are mitigating circumstances, but assuming that we continue to grow like we are and go from strength to strength, Jared will very much be a part of that. And um, and I love it. And I love him. I think it's brilliant news. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot I can say to counteract that, to be honest with you. And it'd be stupid trying to. I mean, like, you know, I didn't want to really talk about Decker Rice much this show. Um, we've tried yeah. to avoid it. So I will be brief. But, you know, maybe, maybe the significance of having a father-in-law that's a diehard West Ham fan was a, a factor. I don't know if it was over the fact that Declan wouldn't have that. You know, Declan's family grew up um, Chelsea supporters, Chelsea season ticket holders. They don't have a particular loyalty to West Ham in that respect. Obviously, Gerard doesn't, but Gerard's father, potential, I don't know if they're not married, are they? But soon to be, maybe, father-in-law does. Um, obviously, Gerard's from, what was he, Herefordshire or somewhere like that. Um, so, in terms of living in London, where his family are, um, West Ham is the club to, to do that. At. If he was still then moved to Liverpool, say he's got to uproot his family, maybe. I mean, I'm looking for lame excuses here, really, just to try and argue, argue with you to defend Declan almost. But it's hard to, I'll be honest with you, because, yes, Gerard has shown commitment to the club, which Declan didn't, um, in terms of the long-term future. Declan did when he was younger, but obviously he's now moved. Gerard being here for the rest of his career, um, essentially, you know, until 33, is a massive, massive thing. You can't get away from that. And, uh, and hopefully it sets a benchmark for other players to be like that. Ward Prowse, I don't think it's going to move on because of his age. But when you look at some of the talent that's coming through the academy system, hopefully what Bowen has now done is wider impacting than just him staying. Hopefully it's shown to those top, top players and potential signings that might be coming to West Ham as well that the key players believe in the future. Now the next step mm. is to get Pakatar to sign a new deal as well. Now he is on a long-term contract, so it's not that but it's around that release clause that he's got in his deal. We need to keep Pakatar because if you if you can keep the midfield as it is now, we you know we include Kudos, Suche, Ward Prowse, Alvarez and Pakatar. If we can sort out getting a top top quality forward in there that we can consistently rely on um, as an alternative to Antonio. We can maybe look at, you have to look at maybe a fullback, right back situation eventually. I think Chafal, credit to him as well, another assist um, for Kudos. Um, I think he's solid and we've got another year or so out of him maybe, but we, I think we need that. The two pressing positions for me coming up are right back and head and shoulders above that forward if we could get those two positions sorted with top quality players we may only need to sign two main players in the summer in those positions or even just one just the forward top quality player top quality forward then um then that should show that West Ham could compete with the big teams I would hope because you know you look at that midfield you look you take sort of maybe I don't know, let's, who, who are we looking at finishing fourth? Maybe let's just say Newcastle for argument's sake. So, you know, I would say two or three of those midfielders could get into Newcastle's midfield at a minimum. Mm. Oh, 100%, the, mate, 100%. The, the difference between Newcastle and us is that they've got Isaac, Callum Wilson that, that score goals regularly. And I know yeah. Antonio scores regularly, but they've got a top, top class forward. And yes, they've got other players that you could argue would get in West Ham's team, but I don't think there's that much difference if you was to say, you know, Zuma and one of their centre-backs, or if you used to say the keeper, or if you used to say one of their midfielders... I think it's just the strike line that's, that's, that's arguably better. And they're, you know, they're beating Paris Saint-Germain in Europe. So the future is, is bright. If we hold on to what we've got and Gerard is the first massive step towards doing that, then hopefully we can sustain this recent success for years to come. And then you have to give credit to Moyes and the board for providing that because West Ham in my lifetime and that's 33 years no 34 years now of having a season ticket have never ever been consistently this good no 
No, I know it's very true, and and they do already have to take some credit, especially with some of the negotiations. And we said before about the job that Karen Brady did and how instrumental she was for getting a hundred and five million pound for Declan Rice. I mean, that was unbelievable on her part. And then to sit down and secure our, our next best player or one of them to a seven year contract without a minimum fee release clause is outstanding. And you and know what, mate? The wages work you know, financially. You can't yeah. argue with that. No, and the wages, I was going to say in my section, I don't want to give too much away because people get a bit funny with me when I say specific amount of wages. His basic wage makes him slightly, only slightly, the highest earning player at the club. He's got a few bonuses in there as well, which take it up to a figure, but that figure is no way near 200,000. Let's say that. And if you've got your best players at West Ham all on around 100, 125,000, then that financially is really good for us to have got that commitment from those players because you got players playing for, you know, Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool, those teams, Chelsea on like 250, 300,000 a week, you know, and I know it's all, all of it. It's ridiculous how much footballers are paid, but if we can keep to that wage structure as well, it keeps harmony within the squad as well. It's a big thing. And for you, they've been very financially prudent this, this summer with the signings and, and the contract negotiations and the departures for yeah. scam what they got for scammer was a good deal you know essentially they got back the money they paid for him and, he, and you could argue there was circumstances behind it but his season in england was a bit of a flop filled with injuries and yet mm. they still managed to get their money back so mm. you know that's good business yeah yeah it's very true well, we also had another game last week, a potential banana skin away to Freiburg. How good was it to see us come away with the win, which after two games, X, leaves us looking pretty pretty good in the table already? Man, I actually forgot about that game. It was crazy yeah. how much yeah, you get your thoughts taken away. X, you know what, though? That's the sign of the times. Yeah. We are A European game on a podcast is an afterthought. This is, yeah. is going to close out the section, and yeah. that's how far we've come as a football club. Yeah, definitely. Mate, the performance in Germany again, particularly the first half, was brilliant. Brilliant. Because what you have to remember is that Freiburg are no mucks. The Bundesliga is a tough league. And they finished like fifth or something in it last year. They are a decent team, you know. And we went there, and that first half especially, we totally outplayed them. We could have been 3 4 nil up if we'd taken mm. chances again. Similar so, sort of script of our season, really. Um, if we'd had like, um, you know, world-class forward in there, I think we would have. I think we would have taken even more um, goals, and, and and to go to Germany and just show that we're really, really turning into. A, I mean, the record that we broke is the evidence of that, but really turning into a very, very good European team. You know, we seem to be able to adjust our, our football, our style of play. Again, credit to the Moyes for this, sort of between Europe and the Premier League. And whilst it's a similar kind of defensive style, it's, you know, it's still a different style in both because it was different teams. And, you know, there's five changes from those teams. So so to go out and perform as we've done, you know, is brilliant. And, you know, we, we sat back in the second half which was disappointing um, I don't know why we do that but we tend to um, and they got their goal and then credit for the spirit and the the, um, the attitude to then go back and reclaim that lead and see it out and you know you've got players coming in that aren't regulars you know Mavropanos Fabianski, for example, coming in and playing really, really well. So we've got a really, really strong squad now and it's a great result. You know, we're 100% in the league already. That's the that's the toughest fixture, I would say, out of all of them. And we've got three points there. If we can pick up a couple of wins, you know, against um, Olympiacos, then we're, we're pretty much home and dry again because, you know, the draw between... Back at Apollo or whatever the names are in Olympiacos was great for us. So we sit in a really, really healthy position and, you know, we're in the next stage of the, the League Cup as well. It's all good, mate. It's all good. And, and credit to everyone that's that's involved from the playing staff to the off the field staff to the management to the board to the fans, everyone involved in this. It's, it's looking like it could be a brilliant season for us. Yeah. Two great goals in that game as well. Incredible cross from Jared Bowen. Uh, great header from Paqueta, who absolutely bossed the game. And we're, yeah, we're spending that week after week at the yeah. moment. He's just incredible. Another assist from Prousey. Again, we seem to be saying that every week. Met yeah. by a brave header from Aguirre. A comfortable performance away from home. With no fans, of course. 
Well, there was one that managed to get in and he was obviously enjoying himself until West Ham Central grasped him up to local authorities. <clears throat> Just going to let that linger like the bad smell that it is. Okay, let's see what X has for us this week. Calling all West Ham fans. Are you a patron of the West Ham way? If not, why not? For the price of a point, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Over 100 interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans. Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen. A show with Tony Cotty. The U Irons podcast. The West Ham Way USA. A transfer window show with Demis Chef. An expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.